Amen. How are we doing? My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're with us today on our uh, final day in the building. Um, we are uh, extremely grateful. There's a little reception. Some of you were here for right before that Fairview held for us. It was nice and sweet, uh, sending us off. But uh, we are we're very grateful uh, for the last three, almost three years that we've been able to be in this building, the way the Lord has used that time and, and even used this space to, to bless uh, His church here as He's built it. And, and we are grateful to the Fairview leadership that was open to bringing us in and working with us and making that possible. And uh, we want to pray for them as we go as well. Um, and, but we are also excited to see what the Lord has next. We know that the, uh, you know, the Lord doesn't call us to plant buildings. He calls us to plant churches, which is not a building, right? It's the people of God. And so, so we go in that way. We're going to be at Genesis uh, next week. We'll be there at 5 p.m., Although it'll feel like more like we're in Numbers and Deuteronomy for a little while, probably, but uh, Bible jokes, um, <laughs> wandering in the wilderness, that's the, that's the point there. Um, 5 p.m. for the next couple months, and we are making some progress on where we'll be after that. Um, we don't have anything firm to announce yet, but we have some good leads, so don't, don't get too worried. Uh, things, are, things are beginning to come together, I think, for, in, in some good ways on that. Um, Another week in another school shooting, this time up in Noblesville. Uh, we praise the Lord that no lives were lost, although it's a little, little scarier even when it's a little closer to home. Um, and, and I think it's appropriate um, that we don't become desensitized just because no lives are lost to the fact that shots were fired in a school building, um, uh, people were wounded, um, and we just pray, come Lord Jesus, um, bring healing, bring redemption, uh, bring restoration. Um, Tomorrow is Memorial Day, a day that's devoted to remembering those who paid the ultimate price and uh, giving their lives in service to our nation. I mean, it began as Decoration Day, uh, honoring those Union soldiers who lost their lives in the Civil War um, and has carried on that tradition of honoring um, our servicemen and women who have given their lives in, in defending our, our nation and our freedom. Uh, and so it's always appropriate, I think, as citizens of this nation to give honor and respect where honor and respect is due to, to those who have served, um, who are serving, to the family members of those who have served, the family members of those who, who have given and paid that ultimate price of sacrifice. Um, and, and I think that's appropriate as, as citizens to do that. And so if that's you, if you are a member of the, the armed forces or a family member, we say thank you uh, for your service, for your sacrifice. Um, and that ties in with our text today because here as we journey through Mark, Jesus is confronted with a political question, a question about taxes, and in his response to that question, we see a call, a reminder, and a proclamation that gives us some clear direction to our own relationship with God and with government and how to be citizens in this nation that we're in. Uh, that's what we see in our text today, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. I invite you to turn to uh, that in your Bible. I'm not sure. Page 848. There it is. And let's stand together and let's read from, hear from God's Word. Mark 12, 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees. And some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this time to gather together, uh, to hear from your words, to, to celebrate uh, the grace that we have in your Son. Lord, would you have your way with us? Would you show us um, what you would have us to do and to be as your people living in this world under governments and authorities? Would you show us ultimately how to live our lives under your authority, giving ourselves fully unto you? Lord Jesus, we pray all this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. I mean, this is fun, right? Uh, It's a holiday weekend, barbecues, all that kind of stuff, so let's talk about taxes and government. Um, That'll really uh, set the weekend off, right? Um, But but here we are, Mark. This is just where the Lord has us as we've been journeying through. So following Christ's telling of the parable, the tenets that that Dave walked us through last week, calling out kind of the hard-hearted wickedness of the religious leaders of Israel, we see that a delegation of Pharisees and Herodians, that's interesting, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, have been sent to step up the pressure on Jesus here this, this final week, holy week, as he's entered Jerusalem and marching toward his cross. Uh, we can infer that the they who have sent the delegation in, in verse 13 are the Sanhedrin, right? The religious ruling body uh, of Israel, made up of the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, right? The, the Greek word translated here as sent in verse 13 is the verb form of the word, the same word that we get the word apostle, right? An apostle uh, is a sent one, but not simply a messenger, but a messenger entrusted with the authority to represent the one who has sent them, right? The 12 apostles sent with Christ's authority, and this delegation of Pharisees and Herodians are sent with the authority of the Sanhedrin behind them. But this is a really interesting group to be working together. A a delegation of Pharisees and Herodians. To understand who the, we we have a pretty good idea, I think, at this point, going through Mark, who the Pharisees are. But the Herodians, maybe not so much, right? They they were essentially a political group, if you will. Uh, Supporters of Herod and his dynasty. Uh, Herod being the corrupt puppet king, kind of established and put in place under the authority of the Romans. And, And the Herods were despised by many Jews. And the Herodians, they weren't religious people, right? They were people of the culture. They were people who had embraced Roman and, and, and the Roman and Greek culture that kind of came with Roman rule. They bought into their philosophies, into their approach to sexuality. They embraced all the pagan values of that culture. And so these are not natural allies here. Pharisees and Herodians. Religious, you know, self-righteous legalists and, and licentious, irreligious semi-pagans here. Right? Right-wingers and left-wingers hanging out together, getting along, having a good time. Like, we, that doesn't happen, does it? Uh, not very often. Um, 
As it has been said, though, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so these folks have come together. Hatred has bound them together. It's a powerful union sometimes, hatred is. And just as we saw them back in Mark chapter 3, uh, holding counsel together to see how they might destroy Jesus, here they come together now seeking to set a trap for, for Jesus, that, he, that he, they might accomplish that destruction once and for all. And so here's the trap, verse 14. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And they begin with this insincere flattery here, right? They're seeking to pose themselves as these innocent inquirers who are just seeking an honest answer, Jesus. Would you please tell us? We have this problem. We don't know how we should handle these taxes. Would you, would you give us a little information? And, and we know, Jesus, you know, you're a person of integrity, right? You're a person who, who teaches the truth. You're not swayed by the opinions of the, this large crowd gathered around us who really hate paying taxes to Caesar, by the way. Um, we, we know that you're not just going to say what will please people. We know that you're going to tell us the truth, Jesus. Right? They're, they're seeking to, to kind of basically lure him into this trap of like, okay, we're going to get this honest answer out of you, and then we're going to drop the hammer on you. It's done. They're trying to force him to answer in a self-condemning way by way of this insincere flattery to force him to give this direct answer in a self-condemning answer at that. But in spite of themselves, this little delegation, uh, they're, they're in fact speaking truth about Jesus. They're, not only is Jesus a person of integrity, he's the person of integrity, the supreme person of perfect integrity. And he speaks the truth always. He is the truth, right? He is God. He teaches the way of God. He is God. They are the ones who have unwittingly here uh, actually spoken truth about the character of of Jesus Christ. But they pose this question to Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. And in this question, they are asking him to settle one of the most controversial issues among the Jews at this time in history. You need to understand the situation that's going on here. The Jews are a conquered people by the Roman Empire. They have been occupied, brought under the authority of the Roman Empire, and they are forced to pay taxes and tributes to Caesar now. The occupying power ruling over them. And almost every Jew in Israel absolutely hates the very thought of having to pay taxes to Caesar. And some of them saw the taxation as an introduction to slavery, right? An affront to the sovereignty of God. The zealots, uh, the religious zealots refused to pay the tax because it acknowledged Caesar's domination over them. The Pharisees Though they, uh, you know, resented the humiliation that, that, the, that came along with the taxation, they justified its payment begrudgingly, while the Herodians supported it on principle, right? Remember, the puppet king, right? They're getting the cut out of this, right? So they, they like it. Um, and so here's the trap. Jesus has to answer this time. He can't just wiggle off the hook this time. He's got to give us an answer. we got this crowd here. But if he answers that it's right to pay taxes to Caesar... The people would brand Jesus as a, a collaborationist, right? As a traitor. They'll distance themselves from him. They'll abandon him in disgust. And the religi- religious leaders would have all that they need to convince the crowd, hey, we need to 
We need to put this guy to death. We need to be done with him. But if he says that taxes should be paid, uh, should, should not be paid to Caesar, well, then the Romans would see him as an insurrectionist, and they would no doubt snuff him out as well. And so the question's posed. In fact, they ask him twice. Right? They ask the question twice. They're really, we want an answer. Tell us now. Should we pay? Should we not? And this delegation waits with bated breath. The Pharisees just hoping that Jesus will respond with a yes, they should pay their taxes so they can take it to the people and have the ammunition they need to destroy him. And the Herodians hoping that Jesus will answer with a no so they can take it to the Romans and set a date for his execution. They have him, right? He, he has to answer. There's no way out. They're rejoicing in their, their joint hatred from these different angles. But Jesus knows what they're up to. He absolutely knows. He's aware of their hearts. He's aware of their intentions. And he sees right through their scheme. Verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Okay? The Roman denarius was the only coin that's accepted for the payment of these taxes in Judea as well as throughout the the imperial territory. It's a small silver coin. Right? That was the equivalent of a day's wage. And on one side of the coin had the image of the Caesar. This particular Caesar being Tiberius. Along with the, uh, the image of Tiberius, it had on that side an inscription that translated, uh, abbreviated inscription that translates to Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And on the reverse side was another, another inscription that translated chief priest or high priest. Because the emperor uh, of Rome, of uh, the Roman Empire, was not only the political leader, he was the religious leader, and he was seen as deity himself. And Jesus asked for denarius to look at, to examine, to show them. And then he responds in verses 16 and 17. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. He simply says, This is Caesar's coin. Right? It's got his likeness on it. It's, it's, it belongs to him. It's understood at this point in time that, that the emperor owns the coins that bear his likeness, his image on them. He says, this is Caesar's coin, so use it to pay Caesar's tax. There's your answer. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But he goes further and says that there's an even higher authority above Caesar. An even higher responsibility on you than simply paying your taxes to Caesar. You must render to God the things that are God's. And this is an astonishing answer. And in it we see a call, a reminder, and a proclamation. First, Jesus' answer gives us a call to good citizenship. Right? There's a call to good citizenship here. Render to, things, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar is a call to be a good citizen. It's a call to submit to and honor the governing authorities that God has ordained to be placed over you. Whoever those governing authorities may be. The Bible is consistent from start to finish that the state, government, it, it, you know, authority is a, is a valid institution. The nation state is a, is a valid institution. By saying render to Caesar what is Caesar's, Jesus is le- legitimizing this pagan state. Human government is deeply biblical. 
right? Even beginning with the call in Genesis 1, 28, on the first man and the first woman, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the creation, right? That's, a, that's an establishment of human authority. That's, that, is a, uh, that, is, that authority is intended to then image and reflect God's authority in the way that it subdues and has dominion over the Apostle Paul expounds upon Jesus' teaching here in Mark 12, in, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Human government is not specifically Christian, it's not explicitly Christian, but it is good. It is certainly better than anarchy, right? It's cer- certainly better than everyone just living as they see fit, as they see what has, things as being right in their own eyes. It's definitely better than building a society around unbounded self-interest and self-preservation with no limits. Just watch any post-apocalyptic film or TV show, a la The Walking Dead, to see how life is with no governmental structures, right? It's a case study in the depravity of the human soul and how how wicked we will become to just seek our own self-interest and look out for ourselves, which results in he who is mightiest is the right one and in control. Human government is biblical and for our good. It's created and established by God, and God calls us to submit to the governing authorities over us. Later in Romans 13, verse 7, Paul says this, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, they're expounding on the same idea here. It's a call for us as Christians to live as good citizens, to submit to the governing authorities that that rule over us, whoever they may be. For their authority comes and is ordained by God. But we are Westerners, right, in the 21st century. And we really struggle with authority, like the word. Some of you, like, you know, start shaking authority. Uh, submitting to authority, submission, there's another word. We get the shakes about. Uh, we don't like those words. We only like submitting to authority if it's to our own authority or to the authority that we approve of and that we like and that we want and surely Paul here, he does it in Jesus. They don't understand how things are for us today, right? They don't, they don't understand. Surely he'd say it a little different if he understood the context that we face. But you see, that's what makes Jesus' words and Paul's words here so remarkable. They're, they're living under the rule of the Roman Empire. Not, not just a little few Christians in power, absolutely no Christians in any kind of position of governmental authority whatsoever when they say these things. And Paul writes Romans 13 in the face of intense persecutions of Christians by the governing authorities. He calls Christians to submit to a government that was hostile in a way that we can't possibly understand hostility in a 21st century Western world. And yet Jesus and Paul call believers in Christ facing real intense persecution and opposition, facing real violence and martyrdom. They call them to, to submit and to cooperate with the, the ruling authorities, the governing authorities ruling over them. What does that mean for us? Well, that means that we are to submit to 
the governing authorities over us. We are to obey the laws of the land. And in repentance, I say, even those annoying speed limit signs that get in our way all the time, right? Um, even laws like the seatbelt law, that I know some folks don't like the seatbelt law, but it's a law, we're to submit to the laws of, of the land. We're to, uh, to submit to our governing authorities. We are to pay our taxes, not cheat on them. We are to give honor and respect to the office of our leaders, even when it's difficult to give honor and respect to the persons that occupy those offices. We are called to participate in the process. We've been invited in this nation to participate by voting and electing our leaders. It's borderline, if not across the borderline, sinful for us to neglect that responsibility, that call to participate in electing those individuals. And we are to pray. We are to pray for those who rule over us. Not simply bash them, but to pray for them. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're to pray for our leaders. We see in the words of Jesus, in the words of Paul, in his commentary on those words in Romans 13, a call to good citizenship, to be good citizens. But we also see a reminder, a reminder here that no earthly state is equal with God. No earthly state, no earthly nation is equal with God. Jesus takes great care to show that the denarius bears the image and likeness of Caesar. But the fact that he doesn't simply say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and stop there, but that he also says and goes further and says, and render to God what is God's, makes it clear that any claim of divinity by Caesar is absolutely false. No government, no human ruler, no state, no nation is on the same level with God. There are boundaries to that authority, and there are limits to our submission. Yes, pay your taxes to Caesar, but don't pay your worship to him, is what Jesus is saying. In other words, this is a no to unqualified obedience. This is hinted at here as well as in Romans 13, but it's explicit elsewhere throughout the Bible. There are classic examples in the book of Daniel of of this kind of limited, you know, We don't just submit to unqualified obedience, but to qualified obedience. In in pagan Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, were actively involved in civic matters, but then they were commanded in Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, by the king to bow down and worship an idol, something that God clearly forbids, and they refuse to obey. Or Daniel himself in Daniel 6, verse 7 was forbidden to pray to the Lord. Again, something that God commands us to do. Daniel disobeys the governing authorities and prays to the Lord anyway. And all of them submitted to the punishment that was due them for their their crimes, if you will, while honoring God with an attitude of fearless respect. Or there's the example of the civil disobedience of the Hebrew midwives. Exodus chapter 1, verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And then there's Peter's response to the Jewish authorities that demanded that he stop preaching about Christ and his resurrection in Acts chapter 5. 
Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And so there's a clear biblical precedent for civil disobedience. Emphasis on civil disobedience. If the state commands us to do what God forbids, or if it forbids what God commands, then civil disobedience becomes our Christian duty. It becomes our moral obligation. We are called to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, to submit to the governing authorities over us, but it's no blanket, unqualified submission even into sin. There are times when we must take a stand for God and his word. We must say, no, we won't do that. There are times when we must speak up for injustice and oppression and call it out and say, this is wickedness. This is not right. But even in those moments, we do it, it, the way we do it should, should reflect the truth of the gospel and the love of God. Speaking the truth in love, with respect, with, with, with reverence, with, with deference to that authority, civil disobedience. You know, this may not be a great example, but I think of it in the way that my, my sons have played on a number of sports teams through the years. And there's an there's a authority that the coach has over them when they're on a team. And we want to support that authority. He has the authority to speak in, to, to teach them. They need to listen to the coach. They need to do what the coach tells them to do. They need to be a good team member, be a good citizen of that team. Show up for practices, show up for games, do their part, do their best. But there's also limits to that authority. Right? And for us, the Lord's Day, gathering together with the church, we're, we're not going to miss church to just go play sporting events every Sunday for like the entire summer. That's a no, right? Uh, we're not going to just skip out on some of that stuff. There are limits to some of that authority. Right? But when we must speak against the authorities of our government, we are to do so and reflect in a way that reflects the love of Christ speaking the truth in love. But there's another sense in which there is a reminder that no earthly state, no earthly nation is equal with God. In other words here, what, what I think is Jesus is getting at is there are limits to our patriotism. There are limits and boundaries to our patriotism. We are not Americans first and Christians second. We are Christians first. Christians first, not Americans first. And the kingdom of God, we need to remember, is not an American kingdom. It is a multinational, multicultural kingdom where the overwhelming majority of the peoples are not white and do not speak English. It's a rich and diverse tapestry of nations and tribes and tongues. The kingdom of Jesus must never be equated in our mind with with America, uh, as as so many of us have probably tried to do through the years, or, or with the Western world. It's so much more than that. The church is international. The capital C church is international. And with these words here, what Jesus does when he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's, Jesus has unhitched God's people from any one government. He severed the national covenant that extended all the way back to Moses. There is, there's a simple reality that in Christ we share in, more in common ultimately with those people who are not our countrymen but who are our brothers and sisters in Christ Right? Those brothers and sisters in China or in Iraq 
right? Those brothers and sisters in Brazil or Uganda or India and Mexico, we share more in common with those brothers and sisters in Christ in those places than we do with our own unbelieving countrymen. We have more in common. If our patriotism and our partisanship runs deeper than our love for Christ and his people, then we are off balance. We're off balance and our patriotism and our partisanship have become idols that we have put on the throne of God. I'm not saying it's wrong to love America, to be thankful for our nation, to celebrate and remember and honor our fallen heroes tomorrow. We should do those things. But, but if, if loving America and holding to your political convictions, those things are more dear to you than your brothers and sisters in Christ and to Jesus himself, then, then we, they've ceased to be good things healthy expressions of citizenship, and they've crossed over into the land of idolatry, into sin that needs to be repented of. Jesus reminds us that these earthly kingdoms are not the end-all, be-all. America will not last to the end of days, right? But the kingdom of God will go on for all eternity. That's the kingdom we ultimately belong to. We see a call and a reminder here, but we also see a proclamation. A proclamation of God's authority over all. When Jesus says, and render to God the things that are God's, this is a proclamation that God's authority is the authority of authorities. King of kings, Lord of lords. His authority knows no bounds. There are no limits to his authority and to our submission to it. It extends over all. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. When Jesus looks over the denarius, he asks the question, right? Whose likeness is this? And the coin belongs to Caesar because it, it bears Caesar's likeness. But the question for you and I is, whose likeness do you bear? Whose likeness do you bear? You belong to God because you bear his image. Render to God the things that are God. It is a claim of God's total ownership over you, your life, your time, your talents, your treasure, your gifts, your abilities, everything that you have over your thoughts, your words, your actions. It's a claim of God's complete and total ownership over you because you bear his image. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Rendered the things, rendered God the things that are God's. Well, that's you. That's you. That's me. We are to give ourselves to him in joyful submission of his authority to his kingship over our lives. Make no mistake, Jesus is asking uh, for, for more than just a, a mere tip here. Like, that's how a lot of us want to give ourselves, our lives, our time, our talent, our treasure, right? We, we like to tip God with the leftovers, right? Here's some leftover money for the church. Here's some leftover time on the excess margins of my life to serve my neighbor. Right? Here is, is some leftover margins where I haven't carved it all up with my recreation and entertainment, to serve the Lord, to, to draw near to the Lord, to give him my heart, my soul, my life, and everything I have. Jesus is not asking for the leftovers. He's not asking for the margins of your life. He's asking for all of you. 
everything, everything you are, everything you have, that he would have authority and sway over all of it. Now, the question then is, how are you ever going to respond to that? How are you going to do that? How are you going to muster up the strength to commit yourself to Jesus like that? I think we begin by taking a cue from the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where he writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You look to Jesus. You look to Jesus and you see his submission to the Father's will. His submission to the Father's authority to send him to the cross. You see how he stepped out of heaven to be born as a man, willingly, joyfully, to identify himself with you, being born in human form. You see him identifying and living the life that you never could, the sinless life you never could. You see how he exchanges that sinless, perfect life for your sin and how he goes to the cross to pay your debt in full. You see him resurrected, lifted up, highly exalted, the name above all names, victorious over the grave. You look to him, and you let that move you to submit yourself to him. You see how Jesus gave every bit of himself for you, emptied and shed his very blood for you, that that might move you to give yourself more and more, every bit of yourself, to him in faith, in submission, in worship, service. Looking to Jesus, the king, is what empowers you to live as a good citizen of whatever country we find ourselves in, under whatever government authorities we find ourselves living under. Because ultimately, we're not serving and honoring those government authorities as Lord but we're honoring the Lord in our service and submission to our country, to our government. This reminds us that there is a higher authority than the president. There's a higher authority than, the, than senators and, and congressmen and women. You have a greater allegiance beyond mere patriotism. You belong to God, the, your creator, your redeemer, who lived for you, who died for you, who rose for you. But this should be the end of entitlement in our lives. Even for for me, if I'm honest, the season of uncertainty with our buildings and where we're gathering and and seeing, like, you know, from my my human mindset, like, this makes no sense, Lord. What's going on? But but it's kind of one of those things, render to Fairview what is Fairview's, right? This is not our building. They are free to do as they wish with this building. And render to God what is God's. Our church is not our church because we gather here or because we gathered at Banneker Community Center or because we will gather at Genesis Church for the next few weeks. It's Christ Church 
It's his church. He does with it what he will. And he will continue to do so. So we, we submit and we submit to him in joyful submission, giving thanks for the grace that he's shown us in our time here, giving thanks to those who are willing to let us be here and, and trusting that he has something for us. We look to Jesus. We see him giving all of himself for you and for me that he might free us to give all of ourselves more and more to him. Well, as noble as the sacrifices of so many of our soldiers truly, truly are, each Sunday we gather, we celebrate, we remember the ultimate sacrifice as we come to the Lord's table. This is our memorial, right? To share in his supper. And may we come with joyful submission, giving all of ourselves in worship to Christ as we take of the bread and the cup that represent his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for our sins. Believers, you're invited to come as we continue to sing and worship here in the next few moments. Uh, break off a piece of the bread, to dip in the cup. We offer juice and wine to take as your conscience leads you. The wine is in the glasses marked with string or twine. Uh, if you're not a believer in Christ, this is an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel, to see that Christ has poured out all of himself, given all of himself in payment of your sin, to respond in faith, to give yourself to him and take Christ in faith. There'll be pastors and prayer responders here in the back and out in the gym. We'd love to visit with you. love to pray with you about anything that's going on. But may we see Christ and may we respond in giving ourselves more and more to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather and to worship together. Lord, would you help us to see your kingdom and your kingship over all. Would you help us to see in the way that we submit to the, the, the rulers of our nation, the authorities put over us, it's another way to worship you. It's another way to give you glory. It's another way to serve your kingdom. Lord, would you help us to see that our, our allegiances to, to nation, to political parties, to causes, are subservient to our allegiance to you that you are our ultimate hope of redemption. You are the only one who can change human hearts, who can really cure what ails us. Lord, help us to see our allegiance to you reigning above our allegiance to anything else. Lord, would you help us to see that your authority extends over us, not just a part of us, not just a Sunday morning or a community group time part of us, but every aspect of our thinking, speaking, and doing. Every part of our gifts and talents that you've given us, every resource that you've allowed us to steward, Lord, you have authority over it all. And may we see you, Lord Jesus, giving all of yourself for us, that it might move us to give ourselves, all of ourselves, more and more to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.